As soon as this is done, I'm crashing. Yeah. Getting an ice cream. An ice cream. An ice cream, and I felt like watching a Ghibli movie today, so we'll see how that holds. You could do Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. At least that's what I'm recommending. I could, because it's one of the two that I haven't seen. Nausicaa and Ponyo. But at the same time, I also really want to rewatch Totoro, because I haven't seen it in almost two years. Can't go wrong with Totoro, especially after a long day. Sometimes you just want to unwind and watch kids cry about nothing. Sometimes that's what you need. And sometimes people need the Split Take podcast, which, welcome. Yes. I, I Cutting short our, our rambling intros of sorts. Episode not, not, 92. Not really. Episode six, six, 69. We're at the, the big 69. Uh, and to celebrate watching two movies that aren't even on the VFI list. Exactly. And the only reason why I know that because for the longest time, as we've been recording, since I, I haven't been editing any of those audio ones, I've never known. Like, I don't know where, how many episodes we have recorded, how many we don't. But I know for certain this is getting edited before I leave town on Friday. And so the last one was episode 68. And now we are on the brilliant 69. Congratulations. We one. made it. We, we made it. 69 we could have done boogie nights i we didn't celebrate episode 66 earlier uh, a few, few months back actually which one was that was that the one we started recording uh in zoom on it might have been no was it? no that's 67 that's 67 yeah i i don't know what 66 is technically i could choose whatever no no i can't never mind ignore me no, there is there is. I'm sure here's here's semi related, but here's a question. I'm sure the fans would like to know. Do you think we'll ever do a prequel episode? I mean, I would like to. <laughs> but ah, it's a uh, full metal alchemist brotherhood was 66. Oh, that's crazy, because we just recorded that uh, six months ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. It wasn't that long, but it was. Wow. <laughs> wow. The split take timeline is about as fucked as the Saw timeline. I know nothing of the Saw movies. Never seen a Saw movie. Still haven't seen a single Halloween of the Halloween franchise. You should watch the first one. And I mean that for both Saw and Halloween and then watch nothing else. <laughs> then it it is on my radar, so I will watch them eventually. But I don't know. horror has never been my thing, even though I do. I don't dislike horror. I like no. horror movies. You just, like uh, The Shining? Well, like, uh, I mean, like actual, like <laughs> shitty, shitty horror movies. I, I watch them. And Whoa. Then... Halloween is not one of those. You can make the case that Saw is, but not Halloween. OK, well, I shouldn't say shitty. I should say B movie horror movies. That are not yes. film, not prestige. Yeah, not prestige cinema. Mm. Yes. All right. Well, welcome to Split Take Podcast. We are uh, live again on uh, YouTube, which has been going quite nicely recently. Uh, the episode output has gone up exponentially, so that's pretty good. Um, uh, because if we're you are, because we're live. Yeah, mm. the, the alternative is dead. Sad. 
Which but awaits us all. Eventually. Eventually it does. But if you are watching us on YouTube, I would appreciate a, a like, perhaps a comment. Let us know what, how we're wrong. Maybe suggest maybe, a movie for us. Suggest a movie. Or you can be the split take that is obviously missing from the podcast most of the most of the time. You can <laughs> tell, us why we're, tell us why we're wrong. We are wrong frequently. A good amount of time we're wrong. Yeah. I'm sure there are um, some. I forget the name of that shitty British drama. From like early on the list. Imitation of life. Yes, I'm sure there's some imitation of life stands out there that are just waiting to give us what's what. Oh, I I know for certain there are people who like the imitation of life. They voted for it. Beats me. Yeah, I like I I don't understand a great many things in this world, but that's probably number one of things I don't understand. I mean, technically speaking, the imitation of life is better than the red shoes. So Tech, from a pure, <laughs> purely quantifiable perspective, an objective perspective, mm-hmm. imitation of life is better. Clearly. Mm-hmm. You hate to see it. The voices of the critics have spoken aloud in unison. Give us this. Mm. Not red shoes. Anyway, so this week, <laughs> it's a fun episode. We are reviewing two movies. Uh, one you might have heard of, and the other you most certainly have not seen. Uh, it is uh, Dragon Inn and Goodbye Dragon Inn. Uh, they are, one is a martial arts film from the 60s or is it 70s? 70s. No, no, 60s. 60s. 60s from Taiwan. And the other one is also a Taiwanese film made decades later that incorporates the classic dragon in into its narrative but we'll get into that later uh i am looking forward to those discussions uh as i don't know i don't know what chandler thinks these are i think this is your first king who movie with dragon in and is, is it, it is. your first sai me yes i saw that you watched another one of his movies i don't remember which one i feel like i've watched three actually hmm. stray dogs and Rebels of a Neon God, hmm. which is a great title. Just it is, just is, it is. Um, but yes, before we get to that, our our usual check in, Chandler. What have you been watching? <sighs> Let me go through it. Uh, I'll be quick. Um, first off the list, I watched re. I watched Twenty Eight Days Later. Which is a zombie movie from Danny Boyle. It was pretty good. One of the greatest joys in in cinema is watching a movie and not knowing that Brendan Gleeson's going to be in it and Brendan Gleeson showing up. It's it's a wonderful feeling of warmth to see his uh, his rough Irish face show up in a movie. Um, but it was nice. It's one of those things where it's a zombie movie, but the real horror is the people. Um, I hate zombie movies for the most part. It has to be really good for me to not hate it just because the the genre is so stupidly oversaturated or was at a point when I was growing up like the late 2000s, early 2010s zombies everywhere. Yeah. Now, now not so much. You. Yeah. If I have this correct, you have not seen Train to Busan yet. No. Okay. Well, that's that's the obvious good one. Yeah, I I know of The, the one the ones that I like. I like Shaun of the Dead. Uh, I love the original Night of the Living Dead. Um, I have I have a nostalgia for Zombieland, even though no, it's not good. 
Um, and that's that's about it. Um, I like I like if anything, I like the zombie game is more, but th- that's another discussion. But yeah, overall solid movie. It's weird because the movie is filmed like at a really bad quality. I thought it was uh, my connection because I was watching it on Hulu and I just looked it up afterwards. The, the film stock just looks bad. Like, the I don't know. It looks like they filmed in 240p, but still a good movie. Definitely mm. recommend it. Um, okay. Danny Boyle is just fun to watch. Uh, I watched a movie called Road Games. Yeah, I had never heard. I I don't know this movie. What you'll have to explain. Road. Okay, so where where I heard of Road Games was the Red Letter Media review where they're talking about Psycho, because mm-hmm. the guy who directed Psycho Two, they mentioned that he directed this movie Road Games, and essentially it's Rear Window but on with a semi truck driver. Hmm. It's basically this guy who drives this truck through the Australian outback, and he thinks that he witnesses it's uh, some guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He witnesses what he thinks is a serial killer running through the outback. Um, And it's just a movie about like, is this guy a serial killer? Is he not? He's kind of going crazy about it. It's very, very good. Hmm. Um, Maybe it's just one of those movies because I had never heard of it. And I felt like I just discovered it. That I think it's really good. But there's some genuinely great twists and turns in this movie. It's a great use of like a bottle setting because most of the movie takes place in the semi truck. And it's Hmm. just one guy. Um, talking to a dog and Jamie Lee Curtis is in a good amount of it. And the guy is Stacy Keach, um, who's in stuff, I guess. <laughs> He's I in American History X and Nebraska. That's his face. Interesting. Yeah. I've seen Nebraska. It's very don't, good. Don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember much. who he is in Nebraska. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's very, very good. Um, I also watched... Uh, the Maltese Falcon. I rewatched this hmm. because I watched it like three years ago for the first time when I was just starting to get into classic movies. And I watched it. And I remember thinking that was OK. Um, I remember watching it and just thinking it's the noirest noir that ever noired. Hmm. And at the time, I thought, eh, and I still feel the same way. It's just like the most essential noir ever. But because I have a much fonder appreciation for the genre. I just loved it a lot more. I I think I, I I've had kind of a similar experience with the Maldives Falcon in that uh, it it was fine first time I watched it and maybe I think I might be a little not not more critical but more lukewarm on the on the film just in general because the second time I watched it I was like this is this is still good I just it, it's never drawn me in kind of emotionally or, or it's not particularly memorable to me other than I yeah think, like the final confrontation with the Maldives Falcon and in that room and that that is what sticks out to me the rest of the film I, I couldn't really <laughs> recollect much of yeah it's it's well it's really simple it's literally just people lying to each other for 90 minutes um and I I watched it because I just finished reading I'm I'm into reading a lot of noirs now a lot of mm. Raymond Chandler Dashiell Hammett books and I had just finished the long goodbye uh, and I've I've seen the Robert Altman long goodbye and I want to watch it again now that I've read the book, but it just got me into a noir mood. So I watched the Maltese Falcon the same day I picked up um, Dashiell Hammett's book, uh, the, the the Thin Man, which is also made into a movie. Yeah. Um, so I'm just kind of going through a noir kick. It was very good. Lastly, I want to say rewatched, but I don't remember if I've ever actually seen it all the way through. But I watched Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy. Hmm. Um, uh, how was that? I've never seen a Kevin Smith movie. I like Kevin Smith. The closest a lot I've, of the stuff. 
the closest I've gotten is the the last blockbuster on Earth, that documentary from last year. Oh yes, and he's yes. in it. Yeah, he has nothing else to do with it. It's just he's in it. That's the closest I've gotten yeah. to to a Kevin Smith film. I like Kevin Smith because his movies, especially his early movies, are like '90s time capsules. Mm-hmm. Everything about them is just so painfully '90s, but in like a good way that makes it charming. Mm-hmm. And you know, th- there's parts in this movie that don't it really age well. A lot of like casual use of homophobic slurs, but it's one of those things where I'm like, that's kind of the charm of watching a movie like this is just being able to live in the nineties for a little bit. Mm. Not all of it has aged really well, but the the general conceit of this movie, there's, there's as much as I love a lot of his charms, a lot of it just doesn't work because the set it's essentially about Ben Affleck plays a guy who falls in love with this girl. And then he realizes the girl's a lesbian. Uh, and then it's basically the whole movie is just him feeling uncomfortable because the girl he fell in love with has a, like a, a sexually active past and it makes him feel uncomfortable. And somehow that makes him the good guy. It's like, I don't know, because spoiler alert, in the end, he doesn't get the girl and it's like a good thing, but it treats it like it's this tragedy. It's just overall, there's a lot to really appreciate about it, but it's just a lot of it just hasn't aged well. It's also funny because this is in the Criterion Collection, technically. It is. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you hate to see people being corrupted by the gays. <laughs> It's good because it has a very young Ben Affleck with a very young Casey Affleck and a and a very young Jason Lee, who I love. Hmm. I love Jason Lee. He's great. I don't know why. I just I have a fondness for Jason Lee. Maybe it's just because I love Almost Famous. Which I still um, need to watch. Ooh, I got a notification, actually, that uh, I have, you know, if you have things on your watch list in Letterboxd. And you have the pro. Account, oh, yeah. And you set like your favorite streaming services. It will notify you when movies on your watch list have arrived on a streaming service and are available. And I, I got a notification oh. recently that Almost Famous is somewhere. I don't remember where, but it is somewhere available to stream. So I think it's on my watch list very soon. Coming I'm going to say wait, because I want to do a split take episode with me, you and Nate, where we discuss Almost Famous. OK, because if this will finally get Nate to watch Almost Famous, I've never been more sure in my life that Nate would like a movie than Almost Famous. Well, then uh, text him, get a, get him thinking uh, yeah. about it and get that ball no. rolling. Uh, I also watched Minnie and Moskowitz. Uh, John Cassavetes movie. Oh, with, yes. Uh, Yes, wasn't that yes. was recently added to the Criterion Channel? Yes, it was because it was part of like a Jenna Rollins uh, marathon thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Jenna Rollins and Seymour Cassell, who I both I love both of them. Um, but it's one of those things where Jenna Rollins' character is amazing in this movie, and uh, Seymour Cassell's just annoying. And I know that John Cassavetes likes to you know show complicated humans. But Seymour Cassell's right. character is so abrasive and rude that I can't even see him as like a flawed individual. He's just kind of an asshole. And I don't know. Jenna Rollins is just too good. Too good. She's a great actress. She's a phenomenal actress. I also watched Possession. The Andre Zolowski movie. Yes. Uh, I watched it as with Brendan Sanju and his friend DJ as part they- of like a movie night thing. 
they on Letterboxd it appeared they they really liked it. You appeared to well DJ like it. DJ suggested it um, because it's one of DJ's favorite movies, hmm. and I've wa- I've been wanting to see it for a very long time. It's a very hard movie to get a copy of. Like the 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 Blu-ray that DJ had was like ninety bucks that he paid for it. Wow. It's out of print. It's very hard. Blue. It's not streaming anywhere. So I'm like, all right, I'm finally going to watch this movie. It is odd. <laughs> it is not what I was expecting. I, I know um, essentially nothing about it. So it's basically it starts off as like some sort of like exorcism movie where uh, Sam Neill plays the husband. Good old Sam Neill. Uh, and um, the wife, Sam Neill's wife, is played by Isabel Adjani. And the whole time I'm like, where have I seen her? And then I remembered after that she plays the lead uh, actress in Werner Herzog's uh, Nosferatu. Ah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm, do you want me to spoil it or should I just be vague? Be vague. Yeah. OK, well, it's a movie that starts off as like a marital drama and then it turns into like a possession, you know, exorcist type thing. Uh, and then it turns into a creature movie and then it turns into Under the Skin. It's very odd. <laughs> it seems like it's a lot of, of those... genre t- uh, turning and twists. Yes, it, it goes full eraser head by like the last act. Oh, that's fun. Um, It's it's good. It's one of those things where as I, when I finished, it, I'm like, there's no way I can even come close to coming with an opinion. Got a lot to wrap my head around. And I don't even want to say fully what I think about it, but I liked it is essentially what I'm getting at. Uh, last few real quick. Uh, I finally finished eight hours. Don't make a day. I saw the Werner very... or not. Uh, not Werner. Werner, sorry, the Rainer Werner Fassbender miniseries. And yes, I know congratulations, that you, the first... you finished it. <laughs> it, it congratulations. Well, I, I never finished it. Yeah. Not, well, not I because of like quality first... issues, but yeah, I watched like the first three episodes a few weeks ago, like all in like three days. And then, you know, because because it's five episodes that each around 90 minutes long. Hmm. Um, so they're essentially five movies, uh, but it was really fucking good. Like I'm debating between a nine and a half or a four and a half or a five. I want four and a half just to be safe, but it is just a beautiful little miniseries. It's just about a bunch of German people working in this town in Germany. And, um, you know, it, it's it's about this family. It's kind of like Fanny and Alexander. Where it starts with this family and then each episode devotes itself to like two or three different characters in this family. And by the end of it, everyone's been fully explored. Everyone has a nice little happy ending. Uh, There's a romance that doesn't pay off until like the last three minutes of the series. And it's just (laughs) one of those. It's like it's like um, uh, a big Ed and Norma in in the return. Or when it finally happens, you're like, oh, wonderful. And it ends shortly after. Um, I definitely recommend it. I know you got through the first two episodes you watched what i think is the best episode which is i don't know if you remember it's the grandma and her very i don't want to say dim-witted but he's very slow husband as they try to start a daycare oh yes the daycare plot yes i do remember that it's essentially yes it's essentially a movie about like these these optimists who are the kids and the grandma all they all have these aspirations and these dreams, and then the pessimists who are like the 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 bosses at the factories and the parents all telling them that's ridiculous, you can't do that. Just just keep your nose down, do your work, and live out the rest of your life. It's one of those type things, um, and it works out really well in the end. It's a very based movie. 
or miniseries because it's essentially uh, socialist propaganda, but in a good way. Do you remember it was pro-union? Very pro-union. Yeah. Very pro-union. Good. Uh, pro-union. Very good. Uh, split Take Podcast is pro-union. Let's get that out mm-hmm. there. And uh, finally, movie-wise, and I, I ended it on this because I know we've both seen it. I finally watched Tenet. <laughs> yes. I'm very excited to hear Tenet. V- verbally here, obviously. You've, yeah. you've told me. I've gotten spoilers as to your opinion. But uh, Tenet, what... Christopher Nolan is such an interesting director. He really is. He is single-handedly keeping the the art of blockbuster movie making alive. Yes, not, I would say so. Not not he's, keeping he's, blockbusters alive, but keeping yeah. putting putting effort and attention to detail to those kinds yeah. of big original idea movies. Honestly, the only people that I feel like could get you a, a few million dollars, like a hundred something million dollars in name alone are uh nolan and tarantino i feel like those are the only two directors left that as soon as you hear that they're making a movie fuck tons of people go see it no matter what it is yeah they have they have huge followings even amongst people who are not particularly like cinephiles and no directors they like you are you're after wes anderson you really want to see his next movie because you like wes anderson i love but but like that that's mostly a a film lover like yeah, a niche exactly. thing that people do except for Tarantino and Nolan. Yeah. And that here's the thing too is I I maybe I've discussed on the podcast but I'm not like a huge fan of Nolan. Uh I feel like he's kind of an incompetent writer in a lot of ways. His characters are always so flat with such poor undefined motivations. He's very much about big ideas and he doesn't know how to add characters to his story. Um, so when I was watching all the trailers for this, I was like, uh, it's going to be one of those things where it's 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 all plot driven, no characters, big, dumb action sequences. And it's people are going to think it's brilliant because they don't get it because it's convoluted. And I got to say, it's all of that. But I liked it. <laughs> yes, it, it is the most Nolan-y of Nolan films possible. It, it takes all the good stuff and all the bad stuff and kind of mushes it together into something that like works i I was quite harsh on it with my score yeah but i think it does work ultimately as a film it's it's odd because i honestly i still don't understand most of it i it 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 gave me flashbacks to when i was in the 10th grade seeing inception for the first time i remember that summer i saw it like three times because i literally didn't understand what was going on Hmm. and this inception feels tame compared to this inception is understand completely understandable like i i understand yeah. how like if you're young you might not be able to follow it if you're old and senile you might not be able to follow it but for the <laughs> most part it's it's fairly self-explanatory but tenet is i have no congrats. idea how if, this... you, if you have a phd i think you're still struggling to figure it out it's it's odd but that's the thing is that like I don't know, because usually um, when I when I watch movies like this, where the, the, the premise is super complicated to the point where it's indecipherable. I think to myself, OK, even the director doesn't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's just because I'm, I'm I've been uh, I've Stockholm syndrome with Nolan <laughs> where I'm watching. It, I'm like, I don't get it, but I have the confidence that it makes sense. <laughs> See, I. I think it, 
I'm not going to say it. I have the confidence it, it makes sense. I'm not sure if that's the yeah. correct word I would use. I'd say I'm sure it Nolan knows what's going on. No, Nolan just does like I'm sure he has mapped it out. I'm sure there's diagrams and sketches and all kinds of like plot points and maps and stuff. And he's like an insane person with doing the research for this film. He knows. That being said, <laughs> it is a film that deals with the the paradox of the grandfather paradox. Of time and going back in time and forwards and what is what is affecting other things and it's it is manipulating the the causality of the world and so at some point i don't think even if he knows what's going on i think it's impossible for it to be strictly coherent because there is a paradox at the the fundamental level of of the film and that's why it's hard to understand too yeah and but i think towards the end it kind of lost me um i took that so i gave it three and a half stars yeah i took off a half star at the end except on on the whole i enjoyed it quite a bit i took off a half star at the end because the end just dissolves into there's a giant battle and i'm not sure who is who i don't care and the most interesting part of the final uh climactic sequence is when it cuts away to the quiet dramatic uh moments between kenneth Branagh and uh, his wife that's the most interesting part of the climactic sequence. it is everything else is just uh, i can take it or leave it yeah also kenneth Branagh is great i love him a lot of them he's he's there he's having fun yeah he's an interesting man and i at this point it's I could like count on one hand the amount of things that he's done that I think are good, but I just love him anyways. Yeah. <laughs> when he shows up, I'm like, yeah, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, all right, sure. Because he, he just seems to be someone who he he's just doing he's doing his own thing, going his own own way, and he's not too concerned with like hogging the limelight or being like a, a super famous. He, gives, he just wants to do what he wants to do. Yeah. And, and he, he knows, gives just enough yeah. of a shit. <laughs> even that like even if he gave no shits he's he's doing it in a yeah. way that feels honest like he's being himself yeah. i really liked uh the, well, that's what i'm saying the ending yeah it loses me one of the dumbest things in this whole movie so at the ending mild spoilers because even if i told you what was going on i wouldn't be able to tell you what was going on but there's this concept that you can go backward in time so they're launching this assault on kenneth Branagh's hole in the desert i don't know the fuck's out there um, but you have soldiers who are going backwards in time and forwards in time. I don't know why, um, but it's funny it because cool, usually man. when because because when they film the other scenes like backwards in time, they literally they 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 film them. They just play them in reverse. Like a lot of the scenes that take place backwards are just they film forwards and film in reverse. Um, the difference is you have these big wide shots of uh soldiers going forward in time and backward in time the same shot so you have the forward facing soldiers who are just running normally like there is a big difference between someone running and you reverse the footage so it looks like they're running backwards and somebody just running backwards in real time because their legs sort of like do this little trot thing 
Mm, yeah. Because that you can't run backwards the same way. So, so you have these giant wide shots of these people in the foreground running forward normally. And then you can see in the background, there's like hundreds of people just doing this little backwards trot thing. And I'm just like, this looks so stupid. <laughs> but I didn't care at that point because I was having fun. There's some really great action scenes. I love the scene where they they break into the uh, the airport bank. <laughs> well, they crash the jet. It's fun. It is, on the whole, a very interesting film. And the, I kind of think it has the same issues that a lot of murder mysteries have. And the only reason why I'm making this connection is because I've been thinking a lot about the, ad, the various adaptations of Murder on the Orient Express. And one of the things is some of them suffer from the fact that on repeat viewings, they're very dull because the character characters aren't there. Like, it's not interesting. You don't really want to know more about the characters. And that's partially why I'm also harsh on the film is I'm not sure on repeat viewings. And I definitely want to give it a repeat viewing very soon. um, Is I'm I'm not sure how much I'm going to care other than trying to figure out the how did this happen? The how and the why. Um, I'm not sure there is any why, quite frankly. Yeah. (laughs) See, I agree for the most part. And I... On paper, I really don't think John David Washington has a character. I just like watching John David Washington. I think he does the best with what he's given. Robert Pattinson's also great. They're giving great performances. Yeah. For not having any character, they are great, interesting performances. And the fact that they are interesting performances is what kind of holds it together. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you can just rewatch it for Kenneth Branagh. Obviously, you really obviously. Really he, he really is a, a lot of fun as an actor. I, I think I prefer him a lot more. Um, as, a, eh, as a director, he's done he's done some OK things, but it, it's interesting. He was in Dunkirk. That was the other. Yeah, he uh, was. He was. Uh, he, he just has a small role in that. I really like Dunkirk. The more I think about it, the more I think it is. Dunkirk's very good of of Nolan's after inception it is nolan's probably his best work i don't know um, inception's your favorite i think inception's probably he's done the best i know a lot of people like the prestige well dark knight uh, too and i need to watch that oh that's right i always forget about the dark <laughs> the dark uh who dark knight's probably my favorite. he's a good director i hate to be that I, guy i don't know his his recent career where he's kind of slowly descended into more and more formalistic manipulations of time and stuff. Yeah. Just overshadowing his earlier, very brilliant new uh, feeling of, of his career. I don't know. Tenet is See the is reason. Fine. Yeah. See the reason just to end it real quick. The reason I like the dark Knight the best is because the Joker is the only character that's ever existed in a Nolan movie. And it's great. Hey, <laughs> I, I think Batman has a character in that. Bane is also great. Batman is great. Uh, Dark Knight Rises is fun. It's it's just yeah. fun. It's not it's not anything brilliant, but it's I don't I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while though too. Yeah. Um, Tenant. I feel like there, I feel like there's other things to say about Tenant. Hmm. It, it. It's worth a watch. It's on HBO Max now. 
the paradox of the film. The other thing is, is you can kind of clue yourself into the fact that none of the film matters in that they they kind of state near the end, I think Robert Pattinson or someone is talking about the um both the grandfather paradox where like if you go back in time and shoot your grandfather, are you still alive? Um but yeah. they're also talking about how like if we're if we're still here, doesn't that mean that we end up succeeding and the universe hasn't been kabloomed? Yeah. And and like yes, yes, that that's what that means, kind of. And yeah, like the the whole film is like you find out at the end of that Robert Pattinson's character, spoiler alert, it has been sent back from the future. But. <sighs> See, I don't get how the whole time travel thing works, because the way that it presents itself in the movie is that when you do the inverse and you go back in time, it's not like a time machine where you can just set what day you go. You have to live out that time in real time, but backwards. Right. And you can't change back into forwards unless you have a machine. Yeah. Yes. OK, here, here's the thing. I remember my specific example. So early on in the film, when they they are in the exposition scene, explaining him and the scientist and she's explaining With the exposition scene. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> the is. whole thing. Uh, yeah. The, but it's like the the densest of the exposition yes, scenes. Yes. And the the scientist says like, well, someone could send back a nuke, uh, a nuclear missile and affect our past. And like the issue with that is the film very clearly shows you that later on in the, the Oslo airport sequence, when another spoiler alert, uh, he, <laughs> John David Watson is, Washington is fighting himself. And you figure that out later. Therefore, in the present, his future self is affecting the present already. Right? So like this, this, it's already happened. Yeah. So you can't send a nuke back because it would have already exploded. That would have already have happened. And the consequences of that, like, it's strange to think about, like, paradoxically, but like, as you go back in time, you are you're not so much affecting the past because your previous self that was going forward in time has already experienced what you have affected. So you, you, there's no changing. You can't change anything. Because yeah. you as an actor <laughs> of free will have already done this thing or have already reacted to it. And it's like this this little weird loop of. Nonsense? I honestly think it's fun. It's yeah, no, fun it is to think about, but yeah, I honestly think Nolan made a movie so stupidly difficult to figure out that you, anyone who gives it even more than two minutes of thought would just have their head hurt. So they automatically just go, oh, this is cool. I, I felt multiple moments in the film where I was like, my head hurts. I'm thinking about this too much. I and think it's like soon. Hmm. Well, as soon as they, they have the scene where spoiler alert, Kenneth Branagh shoots his wife. And that whole I was just after about it. to say. That's where I'm like, I'll save this for next viewing. <laughs> I was just about to say that was the scene where I was like, this is just cool. I don't I don't necessarily know the mechanics and if they're working or if they even make sense. Yeah. But this is this is fun imagery and it is clearly well directed, intelligently directed. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. Like Nolan, he, at the very least, Nolan is playing with time in a unique and interesting way. 
and is it, it's a very unique spin on the time travel genre and at the very least that's what it, that's what it's there for and you know my only concern is where do you even go from here time wise <laughs> yeah but what's it's, left to explore it's also the so really i guess it, my criticism just comes down to i i think kenneth brana was an excellent villain for the film very interesting motivation and idea for what he is trying to accomplish and i wish there was a protagonist that had some character and motivation that, that could play off of that in a meaningful way to make the ending impactful other than watching kenneth Branagh get pushed off of a yacht and die which is so fucking funny the way he falls off that yacht <laughs> he gets yeeted that's the definition of yeeted yeah. right there he just turns into a ragdoll. It's great. <laughs> but yes, there. Tenet, great. There a bonus, a bonus review from both of us. What else have you watched? Oh, oh bring on oh. the Poro. No, 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 no Poro to, to mention this time around. Uh, da, 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 da. I watched the well, actually, no, I take that back. As soon as I said it, um, I watched Murder on the Orient Express. The last, Which one? The last adaptation I had yet to see. This is the Alfred Molina TV oh. version from 2001. And it... Prestige. I can't say it's bad. No, it is bad. Um, I can't say I disliked it. More so that it is the most inconsequential film I've ever seen. In that... How are you not going crazy watching multiple adaptations of the same story i don't know i i just like i just like murder mysteries and agatha christie and then poirot and but it's not a mystery at this point <laughs> but that's that's the mystery of like some some of the adaptations i i like watching again and again yeah and part of the reason why i'm, I'm kind of doing this exploration and this figuring out is like why, why do i like watching this this mystery which is you know uh, an entire genre based around finding out who did it and how is it still interesting after you know who did it um so the alfred molina one is uh it's not worth anyone's time that, that, that's the most i could possibly say about it he's just kind that's of a damn shame he he everyone is phoning it in it is painfully early 2000s like there's they've they've changed it it's the only adaptation i've seen that have has modernized the story that has taken the the murder on the orient express story which takes place in the 30s in europe and moves it to the early 2000s and so they changed some of the clues to be like a missing stylus was found at the crime scene <laughs> and video a videotape was destroyed and they had to reconstruct it and it was oh, painfully stylus painfully early 2000s and part of like the the fun and the the enjoyment of murder on the orient express is that it's an adventure you are going to the orient well not really but you're, you're going to turkey and you're going on a fun train ride that's lavish and it's uh, you know hearkening back to an interesting time uh maybe not interesting a um whatever but <laughs> this kind of ruins it like why would you be yeah. taking a train why why is there any sense of urgency to this story because it's it's modern like just get a car to i'm just order i'm Uber just picturing for Christ's sake i'm just picturing a scene of poirot looking through one of the cabs and he finds a sum 41 cd <laughs> and he puts it in what he thinks is a record player and then it then fat lip plays 
it it's it's strange it's just a strange adaptation all around i mean alfred molina is he's giving the best performance and also he's not pro in any sense i mean he's like a caricature he's alfred molina playing alfred molina playing poirot or or someone's idea of him at least anyway it's an interesting speaking of him yeah. I just learned this week that he's in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I didn't realize that was him. Who? Where? In the opening scene, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's like, he's the guy who's like, toss me the idol. And he gives him the idol and then he dies. That's Alfred Molina. Is that Alfred Molina? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Would you like to? Oh, look my God. I have sure. a fucking poster and I didn't even know You that. too? Oh, my God. Because I always think Alfred Molina, all I know him from is Spider-Man 2 and Coffees and Cigarettes. And then I looked up and he's also in that. There you go. (laughs) Very young Alfred Molina. So I watched my second uh, Nagashi Oshima film. Uh, He is probably most famous for his film uh, In the Realm of the Senses, which I think was I've heard of that. I know what that is. It's banned. I still haven't seen it. I've been wanting to watch it for a while. He's done Death by Hanging, which I have seen. I have that in my closet. I have yet to watch it. And I know you have uh, you have that. Uh, I watched, So I watched a film by him uh, called Taboo or uh, Gohato. And it is it's the most unique samurai film I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot and I still I still want to see more. But it's a great genre. There it is. Yes. This is this is one of the most surprising samurai films. Like it's very much within the genre, and it's very formalistic, slow moving. It's not so much about the plot, but it is about conventions of society and people living under the pressures of yada yada yada. Uh, but the the big twist, because uh, Nagashi Oshima is is obviously, you know, he's famous for In the Realm of the Senses, which is a film about erotic exfisci asphyxiation asphyxiation i can't say the word um but but sex he he is a director that is consumed by sex in a lot of his thoughts and his films and this is a film where wait hold on isn't uh death by hanging about autoerotic asphyxiation well it's about hanging but i mean if you get a kick out of uh, that (laughs) continue so gohato is uh about a bunch of gay horny samurai and it's it's such a strange film that sounds like a fun time it it was entirely worthwhile and the ending was ultimately entirely pointless and i don't know why what the point of the the film was um and it it's such a unique story that I, i guess i recommend it purely based on like that if you just want to see uh gayness and samurai sometimes that's there all you, you need go. to tell me if, if, you, if you just if you just give me an interesting blend of genres i'll watch it gay samurai movie i'm there there are lots of people uh asking are you are you so inclined hinting towards men instead of women ah that's their code word yes lots of that <laughs> who else is Ta- uh, takashi kitano outrage trilogy director the classic. He's, he's in that he's giving a pretty pretty fun performance it's an interesting film. I'm not sure why I was so I was engrossed more so it, it like 
where's this going? How is he manipulating the samurai genre and conventions that I'm so used to? And it ultimately just kind of ends in an interesting kind of psychedelic kind of sequence. It's interesting. I I guess it's recommended. If you like samurai films and you want a unique experience, go for that. It's on the Criterion channel. Uh, And I think that's mostly... Oh, and lastly, I watched... uh, the Emperor's Naked Army Marches On. Ah, yes. The other movie you got. The other, what is it? Second run? Yes, second yeah. run. Who, who make movies I haven't even seen or heard of. Uh, which is a feat, very impressive feat for a Blu-ray company. Um, the Emperor's Naked Army Marches On, which is one, a great title. Recommend it based on that title alone. And it is about a... Uh, a um, soldier or an ex-soldier uh, from who's in World War II in New Guinea and uh, war crimes were committed back in World War II. I'm sure everyone knows that was kind of the big thing during that war <laughs> is the fad, the craze. It's uh, a great time for war crimes. One of the most hey, popular. If, ever, if, everyone's, if everyone's doing them, why not? Uh, I mean, if everyone, I mean, everyone, I mean the Japanese, but um well, they did the best. Yes. So this the guy most, returns home from say. the war and he he had friends or acquaintances in his unit who who died and were shot after the war ended for desertion. And there, there was a bunch of hanky panky and some very not so legal stuff going on. And he, he felt very remorseful about that. And he kind of made his life mission to go and confront uh, people from his unit and figure out like what the hell was going on and uh, essentially shame people and he he said the most interesting part of the documentary is this main guy who who we are following is this he's kind of self-righteous in this weird way like like yes i agree with you war crimes bad but he's very much like a militant jihadist against war crimes He's he's going into people's houses and beating them up if they don't give him answers about what they did and what kind of war crimes. He's like, violence is very interesting telling quote, and this is not a quote, but it's I'm paraphrasing. Um, violence is justified if you're doing it for the right causes, which I think would be like, for me, the opposite reaction if you had experienced all that during World War II. Maybe. True. True. I mean, violence is never justified, but he's a very interesting character. And it, the film... The film ultimately lacks a lot of oomph in terms of its pacing, uh, a lot of kind of repetition in the interviews, a lot of people just in denial again and again and again, which is interesting psychologically. And I think ultimately it is a very interesting psychological portrayal of people, of him specifically, and then the people he's interviewing and trying to get answers out of. And it, I would have appreciated some more tightness maybe to the editing to some of the interviews uh some kind of forward momentum to the the whole thing but ultimately it's it is a very unique and well well told i think ultimately uh Hmm. just investigation into into what this one man is doing this one man's crusade but most of all war crimes it's a great title it is it is and that's it that's what i've been watching so on to the main event on to the main event tenet 
Let's discuss it again or backwards. In, in reverse. <laughs> Terrible backwards speak. Great um, impression. Yes. So I usually have, I think I usually have had Chandler introduce introduce the first movie, but I feel like today is a good opportunity for me to, to introduce the first one um, since I'm the King Who fan. And I think he's the yes. And you're the one who recommended Goodbye Dragon and or at least discovered it first. I did. I did. So I will I'll start with Dragon Inn. So Dragon Inn is a 1967 uh Wuxia martial arts film. It's an action film and it is uh take takes place in 13th century, an older century of China and there are powerful eunuchs who are who frame the minister of defense and then they want his family dead because tying up loose ends and, and yada, yada, yada. And the, the family of the minister of defense is being sent off to this dragon Inn, which is in the, the middle of nowhere on the edge of the Chinese uh, border. And so we, we cut to dragon Inn, and the, the powerful eunuchs are sending their, their minions to the inn to ambush this family and mysterious swordsmen and master and innkeepers and, and intrigue happen. And the the actual people they're trying to protect are irrelevant. And there's just people in an inn who aren't necessarily sure who's trying to kill who, even though they know everyone's trying to kill everyone else. And it, it's sword fights ensue. Mm-hmm. Dragon Inn is a... It's very much a cornerstone of the Wuxia and martial arts, Eastern martial arts films. Uh, I might go into that a little bit later, but I'm very curious. Uh, I've talked before about my love for King who as a director, but I'm curious to, to hear Chandler's thoughts. Chandler, what did you think of Dragon Inn? I liked it. It, it feels like the Wuxia version of uh, Fistful of Dollars. Or like it's very, very foundational in uh, establishing a lot of the genre. Um, but as a whole, it's like pretty good. I really like the first half. I think the second half is just weird. <laughs> it's kind of insane. Um, but, you know, it follows a similar story where you have like a, a, a roguish vigilante type guy wander into a town that's kind of corrupted. Um, where, But in this one, you know, we get a lot more establishment of what's going on. Um, the fight scenes are awesome. Fantastic. Especially towards the beginning. They're trying to get this guy out of here. It's very fun. They're very much rooted in like Chinese opera and and a theatrical sense of fighting, not not in like our our realistic sense of sword fights that we have, but yeah, because uh, a lot of it's like campy and kind of hilarious the way they do some of the effects. Um, but ultimately, it's for like dramatic emphasis, and there's even like the little Chinese clapper percussion. I love that instrument. I don't I don't know what it's called. Uh, but they're like it claps really loudly when there's like a moment of epicness or a moment of tension. It, it, it's great. Like a little emphasis. It's like musical emphasis on these moments in of action. Yeah, it's a you know, it's a really simple story. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing blanks on it because as a whole, I was pretty OK on it. So I don't remember too much about it. It's been a few days since I've seen it, but mm-hmm. um. I really like movies like this that take place mostly in one setting because you get to explore it to a pretty good depth and detail. Um, 
I was really confused towards the beginning because the brother and sister fighting duo that arrive at the Dragon Inn, I thought those are the people. I thought those were the exiled father's kids They're because not. they said they were brother and sister. And I don't know. They they just arrived there. Yeah, they're just there. But, you know, they're fun. They're fun characters. And I especially liked that scene where um, the, the sister trying to prevent her brother from drinking the mm-hmm. wine or whatever. I think that's a lot of fun. There's a lot of little that, like clever. I want, I'm not going to say action set pieces. Um, like yeah clever moments of of tension where someone's trying to kill someone in this case it's it's through poisoning and there's um like it's mostly told through action of like sleight of hand and like eyes looking at each other and glances and it's it's very visual it's it's visually telling an interesting story i, I guess yeah it's especially the 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 scene where they try to poison the first guy it's a great scene because he you know he drinks the wine he starts like convulsing whatever and then when they surround him he spits the wine in their face or whatever i just thought it'd been a funny moment if he just killed a bunch of people by spitting the poisoned wine into their (laughs) eyes so it gets into their body um but yeah it's that first half is great i think once they the ending is just so weird to me that f- the final boss or whatever mm-hmm. is just like comically powerful I, I and it just kind of ends <laughs> it, it literally this might be one of like the shortest denouements in the histories of cinema because it's literally like they kill the head eunuch spoiler alert kill the head eunuch and then there is a shot that lasts for 15 seconds and it's done it pans across the sunset and it, bye yeah they kill the guy and it just cuts to this shot of them watching them walk away in the sunset and i just i thought it was so funny it's like they didn't have any more time like okay production's done ran out of money here's what we got it's kind of like how a lot of anime movies end it's just done a little bit yeah it's over. It, Dragon Inn is a film I go back and forth on a lot. Like it's it, it's one that when I think about, I really love. Like I really love the whole setup of them in the inn and all this intrigue and the the using these these martial artists using their heads to try and get uh, uh, one up on the the eunuchs and the other soldiers and just in general like the vibe and like the landscapes of Taiwan. King Hu is very much director who likes emphasizing landscapes and i think that's yeah one of the really great things about the film is is how he he frames it a lot of it and especially like dragon in it's just this shabby rundown very plain in in the middle of like rocks a barren uh landscape and there's mountains in the background that they go into and it, it, it's very visually interesting and and like the shots are very interestingly composed i, I love the way he frames action and like there's some great shots within those dialogue scenes uh where there's intrigue of like the camera instead of cutting back and forth like it'll move to like show the mm-hmm. other half of the the conversation it's a very dynamic camera and this is like one of the reasons why it's very influential is that it went from being like a uh like early like when we think of like classic old action movies they're just static cameras and looking like here's shot of sword fight cut to other shot here it's like the camera's moving with them lots of dolly shots following people running and it has a lot of energy in the filmmaking itself 
Um, but I am conflicted in the fact that there's not much going on character wise or anything else. No, beneath I, that. I like these characters, but once they understand who's who and who's trying to kill who, it becomes much less interesting. Yeah, my interest dips down a bit. And then ironically enough, when the, the chief eunuch arrives, that's when it picks up because I, I find him. He's fun. He's, he's fun to watch. <laughs> it's a no, it's a fun fight. That whole ending sequence is very fun. But again, at that point, I'm just like, OK, this is, you know, it was ridiculous before, but now it's just insane because yeah. he's just I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I it's like the idea of that, though. No, I, I do, too. And the that action scene in general is fun. But yeah, just once one, it's almost like the dip into the third act. Once they finally figure out who they're supposed to fight that first half is so much fun because there's a lot of tension because you know you know that the eunuchs want to poison him he doesn't know and they build scenes around that you know with the first guy and the arrival of the other two guys and then once you know all that mystery is dissolved it just becomes a us versus them type thing and you know those action scenes are fun but then you have those scenes in between those scenes that aren't really that fun at all yeah. Um, because there's no mystery intrigue left and these characters aren't necessarily strong characters. So, uh. yeah, there's a, like a lot of the scenes and the beginning of the film, I think, have a very clear purpose and a point to them and goals. And like there is a, a power differentiation, which makes them interesting. Like when the the main swordsman arrives, OK, this is the scene where. He arrives and is confronted by the the people, the eunuchs people who don't want him there. Like, it's very clearly set up. Like, you know what the scene is going to be going into it, and it handles that very cleverly. Great. You have a, a firm sense on the tensions, the stakes, and everything. But later on, that becomes much more nebulous and not really spelled out at all. And there's just scenes where... And they fight. Like, that that's what the scenes are. I wish there was more. And I quite frankly, I like it. But there are seeing a lot of scenes where it, it's you're not quite sure what the the if there's like a real power differentiation between yeah. people that is interesting or what is like, what's the point of this scene other than, OK, good guys, bad guys. And it gets too, too simplified. And a lot of King who's very clever filmmaking doesn't doesn't make as much of a show. Um, mm -hmm which is why I, I'm conflicted about how my, my attention does waver throughout this, this movie as I'm watching it, even though I, I like it. I think it's fun, ultimately. It is. It is. I'd watch this again. I would get the Criterion just because that first half is great. And, and the, cover, the, the cover art is great. great. It is. For, for the Criterion. Oh, God, what, what was going on with the, the, the main guy of this movie? Towards the end, his eyes were looking bloodshot. <laughs> The main swordsman? Yeah, the guy with the green one that like an umbrella sword. Hmm. So fun fact for the the uninitiated King Who fans, the umbrella, the main swordsman guy is, I think, probably King Who's like steady actor. He's like the, the, the Toshira Mifune to Akira yeah. Kurosawa. And he he's often the main character. He's the main character in A Touch of Zen and Legend of the Mountain. And I can't remember. I don't. He might not be in Raining in the Mountain. Uh, either way. And then the the of the brother and sister fighting duo, the sister is probably also uh, one of King Hu's main actors. She looks familiar. Yeah, and I quite honest. Else. I th yeah, I think she's. 
she's been in something like recent that is famous that you would know. I'm looking at Oh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She's in that. She's the villain in that one. The Is she really? Oh, I think wow. so. Yeah. Uh, because this is a, a film that obviously uh, King Hu influenced Ang Lee on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And Ang Lee was like, well, I like that actress. Let's see where she is now. Is she? Is she? I thought it was someone. Thing about a lot of these, uh, the uh, a lot of the Chinese actresses, is I, I can't tell which, which ones are the boy names and which ones are the girl names. Yes. So I Miss might be Chu thinking of someone Hui. else. Yeah, Polly Shang Kwan Ling something uh, does not look like she was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She was in a bunch of other martial arts movies. What's including the eighteen Bronze Men? That's pretty epic. Not uh, this one. Not this one. It's gonna. It's gonna kill me. Ah, no. Ah. Yeah, it's Polly Shang Kwan. No, the 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 isn't the main villain of uh Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I I know who she is. Oh no, this is someone from I was thinking of uh Come Drink With Me. Okay. Thinking of a different ah. different King Who movie. Ignore <laughs> me. Um but anyway, either way, she is one of the the main this girl in Dragon Inn. She's uh also in Touch of Zen. And uh honestly, she has a very limited role. Uh King Who often frames his films around strong female swordsman characters. A lot of his movies uh, just are very female driven. This one less so. This is probably probably his most male driven, action driven film. Interesting. Uh it is yeah. The so the other thing, which kind of ties into our second discussion for our second film, but Dragon Inn is a movie that I have always really wanted to watch on the big screen. And I think would actually be improved by that viewing. Um, mostly because of that really dynamic camera movement. And when you are in a, a theater, it's... It, it's not as easy for your mind to wander. Like you're more into the world of the film and like his huge sweeping camera movements and like the landscape shots and the action of be like being there with the characters as they're swinging swords and hearing loudly the, that Chinese percussion instrument, whatever it is, just seems like a much like an epic experience to have in a theater and like a much more kind of fun and engaging way of watching the movie. Rather than alone at home, just kind of like, okay, here's here's fun action, I guess. Um, it didn't help the guy in Good Bad Dragon Inn. No. But, <laughs> yeah, Dragon Inn, it's fun. If you like, you know, martial arts films, it's It's super cool. solid. It is. It's, it's not going to blow your mind, but it's very fun. It's an easy movie to watch, too. Like, it's... Yeah. It's not much going on. It's not particularly... Uh, there's no themes or anything, which is partially a downfall, but it's also, I think, very accessible. And honestly, I think it might be it might be where I, I recommend people to start with King Who because it is so simple. It's just action and it's fun. Ultimately, 
I think it is a good place to start with him as a director because mm. A Touch of Zen is long, very much it's a different beast entirely. And Dragon Inn is a good introduction, but it's not very indic- uh, representative of some mm. of his other later films, which become much more kind of meditative and very much almost Buddhist in nature, but Taoist or like very seeped within Eastern yeah. Chinese ideologies. Cool. Sold. Cool. <laughs> Dragon Inn. Fun. This is actually a. I think we probably started with Dragon. Goodbye, Dragon Inn. And they were like, well, if we're watching that, we might as well watch Dragon Inn. Yeah. yeah. So let's get back. Let's get to the real, the real film of this uh, podcast episode. Film. Chandler, do you want to take that one away? Yeah. Uh, Goodbye, Dragon Inn is a film directed by. What's his name? Do, 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 do. Oh, I was asking do. you. Oh. Sai Ming Ling. Liang? Yes. Sai Ming Ling. It is a movie about a uh, uh, a a, tai, a Taipei cinema during its last night of being opening. They they show uh, the movie we just talked about, Dragon Inn. It's just a it's sort of like a movie just documenting that night. Uh, a bunch of different characters who we don't really know, but we do. Um, it's it's very it is not what I was expecting. I'll say that right out the gate. There's somebody that um, I follow on Letterboxd. His name is uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose, if that means anything. Uh, And his review is this. What I expected, a transcendent experience about the death and remembrance of a cinema and the profound impact that film has on those who love it. What I got, a woman agonizingly walks up and down stairs for 15 minutes and then a man sits and watches a movie for a half hour. (laughs) Which is true. But I liked it a lot. I'm going to say I, I don't. I don't agree with this review. I agree with the first half of that review. Cut it off. Delete that second half. And it's it's true. I, I honestly I really love this movie. Uh, like <laughs> I, I was not sure what I would think about it. Um, I don't know what I was expecting. Honestly, uh, I barely even watched the trailer. I just knew the general. Premise. I didn't even watch the trailer. Um, for, I knew the, general, the premise general premise. And yeah. Yeah, and I've seen two Sai Ming uh, Ling films. I'm so sorry for mispronouncing that. Um, Stray Dogs and Rebels of Neon God. Rebels of Neon God's pretty good. Uh, Stray Dogs is one of the most pointlessly slow, excruciating films I've ever seen. It's actually not that bad, but it is. <laughs> it's like this, but I just wasn't feeling it in any way. Yeah. But this, Goodbye Dragon Inn, I was just like emotionally engaged with it for the entire runtime in a way that surprised me even like it it is so slow There's it's but it, it's 82 minutes though yes that which that's excellent <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing I, I agree because it wasn't until like 30 minutes in where i realized no one has said anything <laughs> i think the first line of dialogue i think i, I stopped it and wrote down 45 minutes i think yeah because it's when that guy is going into the alley and he says i don't even fucking remember what he says Oh, um, did you know the theater is haunted? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen until 45 minutes into the movie. And, and, then, and, and speaking of unpronounceable names in the BFI list, I just thought I'd read you this excerpt from the Wikipedia page. I don't know if you did any research, 
Um, but from the Wikipedia page, it says Psy considers this one of his best films and chose it as one of his entries of the 10 greatest films of all time in the 2012 Sight and Sound Directors poll. So he chose his own movie, which I think is pretty funny. And then uh, it goes on to say directors Monte Hellman. I don't know who that is. And a pitchatong were ethical. Uh, also voted for this film in the poll. A Pitchatong also tweeted on November 6th, 2020 about Goodbye Dragon Inn, calling it the best film of the last 125 years. It, it's honestly like great. Like he's the director of Uncle Boon Me. Yeah. Uh, who's yeah. Uh, Thailand, Taiwanese. No, I think he's Philippine. Philippines. Filipino. Thailand. Hold on. Okay. Um, but there, one Thai. of the, No, you're right. Thai. Okay. One of the bonus features on here in the little booklet. Did you look at the little booklet? I did, but I, I was just reading on the back that it was 20 pages long and it didn't seem that long to me. Yeah, but he, he writes uh, just a little, a short love letter to the movie. Yeah. Uh, that director, Pichit Pong, where things So sorry. Um, Difficult. And it, it just seems like wholesome filmmaker appreciation moment. And it's like, I'm here for it. I mean, I don't agree it's the best movie ever made, but I, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's very good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so it's, it's essentially just a movie about these long static shots documenting the people at this theater, not just the employees. You have the, the woman who I assume manages the theater. Um, or at the very least is just like the ticket. Lady yeah. and then cleaning and up. And she yeah. has, yeah, some sort of physical disability. So it's a lot of her like struggling to get up and down these flights of stairs. Uh, there's the projectionist who we don't see until the very end. Um, there is this guy who's just trying to watch Dragon Inn. And I didn't realize until I was reading the plot synopsis later, but it said that he was looking for a homosexual encounter. And I'm like, I Did didn't you... get that impression. It's doesn't become particularly obvious i I had that kind of spoiled for me so i need to look for it i don't think it becomes particularly obvious until there's a there's a scene in a bath an excruciatingly long scene in a bathroom (laughs) and then a subsequent scene when that first line of dialogue comes up how they get very close to each other and he is obviously getting very close to the other guy yeah and the other guy tells him there's ghosts in the theater and then leaves it's funny because when I was watching that scene in the bathroom, I thought he was going to get mugged. Interesting. Because they're pissing forever. <laughs> Nobody takes that long to piss. So what I saw was, OK, you have the one guy go in. He's, he pisses next to this other guy. And another guy comes and starts pissing next to him. And they're both standing there pissing for like two or three minutes. And I'm like, OK, everyone in this room is out of pee. But then you have the other guy who exits the stall and he goes to start washing his hands and he's washing his hands for like three minutes. So in my mind, I'm like, OK, they're going to mug him. And if he tries to escape, the guy in the sink is going to stop him. That's what I, I thought was going on. Yes, I, I don't know if I caught this correctly, but I also thought the guy who exited the stall, someone closed the stall door from inside. Yes, that that also. Okay, so, I mean, that, yes. that's a small hint towards there. But that that yeah, that I didn't. That moment, I didn't read it as gay until I read the plot synopsis afterwards. But I mean, it's you like, could just read again, it as a shitting buddy. <laughs> Everyone needs a good shitting, shitting bro. Um, yeah, there's like 10 lines of dialogue throughout this whole movie. There's like there's two scenes of dialogue. 
There's one between yeah. the one, the two guys, and one between the two actors at the end. That's it. There are other lines of dialogue, and like throughout the whole film, Dragon Inn is playing on the big screen, and you get yes. some dialogue. It's obviously not translated because it's not the focus, yeah. but it is. It is a silent film, and it's yeah, it's pretty much silent. I guess if I was like trying to explain why I was so engrossed in the movie, was it just? It's one of the most atmospheric things in a way that hit home with me. And I was reading about Sai, uh, the director, was talking about how, like, this is very much something from his childhood, a very culturally unique thing to Taiwan about all these theaters that kind of went bust and were uh, torn down. This was fun. I don't know if you read this, but it was an actual theater that was going to be torn down and the director just like happened by it and was like, I want to shoot there. Can I rent it before you take it down? And then they just shot the film and then real quick and that that's it. So it was, it was an actual rundown theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the director was worried that his experience, that very specific kind of like time capsule of Taiwan and the feeling of those old theaters. And I think he also grew up elsewhere in uh, Southeast Asia, um, but those old kind of rundown theaters um, he wasn't sure if that would translate to the audience. And I think it does, but in a different way, at least for me. And it did. No, it did for me. It didn't feel it, like a regular theater, but it felt like this almost mythical place because yeah. it's so specific looking. It's 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 like no theater I've, I've ever been to. Yeah. But I think there is something. It, it's hard to recommend this to anyone other than like really big film buffs. But at the same time, I feel like there's something very primal about old abandoned group spaces and yeah, okay. leaking and yes. the water and the sounds of yes. those old creaking buildings and the abandonment of a place that should have people in it. It's, it's, it's a liminal space. Are you familiar yeah. with the term? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's essentially a, a liminal space movie. Um, but God, those scenes, it's it, the scenes where they're just watching the movie. It's so great because it's, you have these big, so you have this movie that harkens back to an older time, 25 years ago in the past, whatever. And you have these this grand movie with these big, wide open shots exploring the nature, the scenery. And it's set in the same room as like this dumpy old uh, theater with like three people in it. The and sound is reverberating. Theater. Yes. The, the sound is reverberating off the walls. So it's like this weird sort of contrast where you have this feeling that at one time, way in the distant past what this movie was showing here and there were, it was filled with people and you get that feeling that at one time in this theater's past that it was a very popular thing that people would go and see the movies they probably saw dragon in and a bunch of other things but then you see it in the future and it's dirty it's run down it's empty the sound echoes off the, the the vacant rooms and but you still have this relic of the past it's playing simultaneously and it it, it creates this very melancholy feeling and that feeling just goes into hyperdrive in the end when you have that actor who's watching himself in this dumpy abandoned theater and he starts crying and i'm just like oh this is it's it's doing so much by saying so little it's so much of this movie just, it doesn't move it's just shots of people watching movie theaters but it's the atmosphere that just makes everything so i don't want to say entertaining because that's not the right word but engaging and I, I, this is one of the reasons why I really love In the Mood for Love. And I think you might share a similar 
perspective on chunking chunking express and that's like the use of rain and water oh yes as, as like a a tool for producing a melancholy atmosphere and it just the pouring rain i think it like opens on a shot of the neon like outside the theater the neon and the the rain and just throughout the entire thing you just hear like the pitter patter and the thunder in the background and it something so primal about that about a lot of different things and it's also the sound design in this film Part of my part of my review on Letterboxd was just talking about like the optimal conditions for watching this film. And I think unlike Dragon Inn, which I think would. Is in, it, the experience is increased for Dragon Inn if you're watching it on a big screen with a lot of people and you can see it. I think Goodbye Dragon Inn is best experienced alone or with a significant other in a quiet room, dark speakers turned way up and you can just be kind of alone with this this feeling. That it produces and the speakers turned way up is important because like the sound design i think is what hooks me beyond just the static image and of itself like there's something kind of hypnotizing about a lot of the way the sound works in the film particularly like the crunching of the the one of the the people in the theater is she's eating seeds i think yeah i don't crunch. know what she's eating crunch yeah and then the the girl with the the funny leg Chung, chung, chung. And, and like she's going up at one point like a, a metal uh ladder staircase circular staircase yep kablunk, kablunk, kablunk. and then it's it's echoing in that metal metal sort of way that makes the the shot very tactile like this feels very tarkovsky-esque in the in the fact like you can yeah. touch it almost yep and the and the attic too where they the, the the rain is coming in through the ceiling and it's just you hear the rain but you also hear the drops going into the individual buckets and the people throwing the water out the window just to put it right back to where it was before uh it's it's yeah it's one of those things if you don't have like an appreciation for aesthetic and atmosphere this will be the most boring movie in the world <laughs> yes but you know it's it's but also i think 82 minutes is perfect because it just it allows you to explore every corner of this theater as much as you need to to fully soak in all the details because mm -hmm. that's all this is it's it's people navigating through a space and you're just sort of watching them wondering what's going on in their lives but also observing absorbing every little detail in the environment i like the end how one of the the things that happens in this movie is the woman with the the bad leg is making some sort of pink uh roll like i'm not sure what it was rice cake or something yeah and she leaves it for a projectionist, whoever it was, and then she leaves and then she goes up and spies to see if the guy had taken it. He hasn't. And then the guy, I, I don't know, because it's it's I I was under the impression that maybe she had like a crush on him or something. I think so. And yeah, it's like at the end, um, he takes it. It's he thinks it's like trash or something, but then he goes down uh, and he's like in that lady's office and sees her rice cooker opens up and sees the rest of the rice thing in there. And at that moment, he realizes what happened. But at that point, he thinks that she's gone. So he leaves and then she sees that he leaves. And one thing that I wish I didn't spoil for myself, I didn't if I wish I would have gone into this not knowing it was supposed to be the quote unquote last night, because once they put up that like close for everything, I'm like, oh, if I didn't know, that would have been a powerful moment. I, I was surprised that like that's it's hard to describe the film without mentioning that. But I think it's also important to describe the film without 
mentioning that. Yeah. It's... And that all the, every single description I see of it is like on a theater and the, it's last night. But it's it's literally like the last 10 minutes. You figure that out. Because I think if you if you said if you didn't include that in the description, you would just say people are in a movie theater. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to describe it without it. And yet you probably should. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Catch 22. You have to make the film sound interesting, but there's no way of (laughs) making it sound interesting without telling what what happens at the end. (laughs) Well, exactly. That's why this whole movie, like when I... I was interested in it because I thought it was going to be something like, you know, it's it's a bunch of it's it's almost like a um, a vignette type movie where you have you see looks into the lives of all these different people working in the theater and then they all go their separate ways at the end. That's what I thought it was going to be like. And Nashville, I still would like to see that movie. in the last yeah, something like film. Nashville. Yeah. And then, you know, a bunch the, of different characters. in it. Yeah. And then in like a moment of pure cinema magic, the actors show up. But no, it's not that I love the 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 conversation between the two actors because there's just something so sad about watching because it's the guy who has the umbrella sword from dragon in mm-hmm. who's watching this movie who's on the last night i couldn't quite i don't know i i hope is he the, is he the brother I, hope, I don't know i hope it was the eunuch it wasn't but i hope it was <laughs> that that would be a nice little because i was thinking about the american the version of this yeah I was thinking of like the American version of this, like Clint Eastwood goes to see and Lee Van Cleef's there with his grandson or something. <laughs> I would love this is one of those movies that I would like to see an American quote unquote American version of. Um, but I don't want someone dumb to do it. I want it to be just as boring and atmospheric as the original, because I think that would be interesting, too. Um, I wonder who, who would what director would we get to? If it was Martin Scorsese. Ooh. Kelly Tarantino. Kelly Reichardt could. She, she has the atmosphere this. and the pacing down. So, well, I would love to see a Tarantino version of this, but he would not be able to have a whole movie where no one talks. He seems <laughs> he seems like the too obvious and not a good choice. But also, yeah. I mean, hmm. yeah. But yeah, that scene. I, there's just something so like it's 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 it. It rationalizes mortality in a way that few things can. When you see mm. just this old man watching himself as a young person, that person he'll never be again. He's sort of reliving like the quote unquote glory days just by watching this movie. And, and, he, and he's doing seen... it alone, essentially. Like no one else is. Yeah. There. No one's there to watch nope. the movie. The only other person who cares is also an actor. And he film. doesn't care. <laughs> by the and... end, I wondered why the fuck did he go? He didn't want to have a conversation. His grandson. Yeah, but that was cute. Yeah, yeah. At first, I thought, is this old man just sitting by a random child? At the very beginning, because a lot of people were just sitting by random people, and yeah, one of the there's there's so much I love about this. I I don't quite understand it, but I on it. This is it might be my second favorite new watch of the of the year. Um, what's the first? Maybe the hunt. The hunt and Rocco and his five brothers, like those three. Far and away. Yeah, I, I good. love this. One of the other, like, it is a very kind of dry film throughout, but it's also very funny. Like, I don't know if you found it. Some of those scenes particularly funny. I but... found particularly I found the um, the the guy looking for a game counter to be very funny. The there's such like if you are any kind of like theater connoisseur of like going to a theater for that experience. 
I think you also might like this movie, even if you're not particularly into long movies. There's just this great scene of the guy. It doesn't even matter that he's looking for a gay experience. I love how that, that's how it's described. Um, yeah, it's funny. I but he, he sits down in the theater next to the actor, I think. And then another guy just comes and sits right next to him. And I didn't so much interpret that as like everyone's gay for each other, but it's just like the quintessential awkward, terrible theater experience of like there's someone's propping up their feet behind him and someone's next to him and he's uncomfortable and he turns one way and there's just a stranger there and another way and there's feet there. (laughs) And then like the guy comes and sits right next to him and then gets up like two minutes later and goes sits elsewhere in the theater. And it, it was just very, it was like, silent comedy in a way that only only someone who loves the theater and knows the pain of uh, that experiences there can can offer would find that funny in any way i also well another thing i found funny was the scene where the guy tries i think he's trying to see that he is the actor from the movie he just sits next to him and he's just like and it goes on for so long and the other guy just never even acknowledges him. And then mm. when he finally gives up and leaves, you can see that the other guy just like watches him leave. And he, there's almost like a look of relief on his face. It's mm. so there's so many subtle things about this movie. It's it's a fill in your own story. And that's what I really like about it. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really strong about the movie in that it's silent. But I think there's a strong thematic undercurrent of trying to find connections and community almost but not community but like so you have the girl who is running managing the theater and she's trying to make a connection with the the projectionist and then you have the the one he's japanese the japanese tourist guy who's looking for a guy (laughs) he's looking to for someone to hook up with i just love that that is his objective as a gay tourist is I'm going to go to a screening of Dragon Inn and I'm going to find a guy to fuck. It's great. It's and, fun. And this longing to be with other people and other people not being there. And, you know, that that's emblematic of the theater experience of no one's going to this old theater anymore. And this is, I think there's a very... Pop, one of the more popular reviews on Letterboxd is about how this is like a perfect movie for uh, the COVID times. It's, like it's true. Are, are it's dead. true. Cinema's dead, dude. Why are we even doing this <laughs> podcast? It's gone. Yeah, no, this is like, like you said, it, it's it's very good. The, the ideal watching environment is in a cold room alone. But I think I really wish I would have seen this before I watched Scott Pilgrim just a week before. So it felt like the the absolute longing I had to watch a movie in a theater would have helped a little bit. But I still I mean, I've only been once in the past year. I still, I still feel that feeling. I still have that longing. Haven't been to a movie theater. Yeah. Yes. Um, Except yeah, for Jaws. So like, but like that searching for connections is partially what gives a lot of the scenes their oomph. Because you you get the sense of characters have goals you're not sure what they want exactly, but you know they, they want something. And at the end, it's clear like they want a connection with someone. But you have you know scenes of the people in the theater sitting next to each other and moving and doing things. And then you have the girl who you slowly, over the course of the film, kind of realize that she's interested in the projectionist. And it's just it it is slow and it's slowly revealing that. But there is like a point 
to each shot mm-hmm. of showing a, a goal that someone has or, or showing like a little piece of the puzzle to figure out what, what is everyone after in this theater? Because after something, everyone is, af- is there for a reason other than to watch the movie. And it, the film very, very carefully paces that out to doesn't, doesn't show all of its cards too early. And that's yeah. what I think well, a lot of that kept me interested and engaged in the film. Just I don't know if you people. saw my review, but I said Gene Delman tutorial level. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it is, but it's ha- a half or even a third of the time of Gene Delman. Yeah, that's one of the one the films, one of the final ones I still haven't seen. I'm very curious because I'm not sure what I'm going to You never seen Gene Delman? No. Interesting. That has to be on here, I assume. Oh, yeah. On the BFI list? Yeah, yeah, it's on there. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. Oh my God! The woman who uh, played the the woman with the bad leg. Did you look up her filmography? No. What you know, else, you know, what else she's in. Hmm. I'm mm-hmm. showing you. Oh, Brighter Summer Day. That was going to be the next one. I I, I I thought of. I would have been like, oh, who's she? And then I, I mean. It's I don't think I remember a single character aside from the main guy and the girl he kills. <laughs> Not that that's anything on the film. It's just it's a very dense film. Yeah. And the kids singing karaoke. <laughs> it's a fun time. Well, goodbye, Dragon Inn. I, if it sounds interesting by our conversation, I, I can't recommend it enough. I'm surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And I think you need to be in the mood for it. Don't try to force it. Just, just watch it. Watch it. I also you're feeling nostalgic for it, the theater. Yeah. And I also went ahead and put it on the number two for my list. Hmm. Very good. I'm tempted, and I think I might just say fuck it and give it five stars because I'm going to go for you'll, it. You only live once. I'm going to go for it because uh, I already really want to watch it again. It, it's such a unique experience too. Like I, I'm not sure. There, there are films that express a love of filmmaking, and a love of film, but I'm not sure I've seen any movie that has really captured the like the love of the theater experience, uh, and the longing for, me, for that. That's the only again the only one other one I can think of is cinema parody. So yes, but that's I think that's more about cinema in general the idea of cinema yeah the concept of it because yet yes there's the theater in it but it's it's about more than that it kind of transcends yeah. just the theater space into the idea yeah. of what cinema can offer and all that this is very much all but about that's about a theater yeah. cinema the cinema paradiso is about is exploring those ideas through characters the character of this movie is the theater that is it's everything everything runs through this theater it's the focus of everything it it even has an arc <laughs> he dies it is, in the end. it's an exploration of space in yeah. a way and time to, to a certain degree because it, it manipulates time in an interesting way but it's an exploration of space in a way that i think most films aren't like it, it's such a unique experience i i can't like as you said Films like use character to explore something. This is like a a setting based film where the entire point is just learning about the the place and being there. I, yeah, I think the fact that this theater shut down just gave me a little bit more appreciation for it. That's a hell of a way to capture 
a little time capsule of that place. Hmm. That that movie theater is immortalized. Yeah. You could not make the same theater in a Harkins. <laughs> Imagine trying to get an artsy shot of the giant popcorn. Oh no. In the front of the theater. There's an old an old rundown theater here in Tucson. Um it was like a it was like a second run movie theater, I think it was, like a discount theater. It's been closed, I think, for a good 15 years at this point. Nothing the building next to it has been demolished and replaced, but it's it's still there. You know, I just I drove remember, past. Hmm? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I don't know. I I just be I'd be so curious to take a peek inside that that theater because I'm sure nothing's been in there for like 15 years. I think the last one I saw there was March of the Penguins. <laughs> was that like 2009? Five. Is there five? Than that? Okay, it wasn't. It was like maybe two years after that. That theater closed and hasn't been nothing's happened to it since be curious like that that would be a good example of like a american theater that's been abandoned to the point where it might yeah. be similar to this film probably not the, you know but. the one that i was thinking of um i just i was in tempe the other day and i just drove by the harkins art theater that's on mill mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about yeah. that one oh my god uh, i drove past it and in the marquee it's just a sign that says uh, uh cinema is forever we'll see you soon which that alone isn't like, oh, that's tragic. And then you look out front and it's just you have you have uh, just uh, the, the piano bar right to the left of it. And you have this this billiards place to the right of it. And in the middle, you just have this theater. It's closed down. It says cinemas forever. We'll see you soon. And just underneath the marquee, there's like seven or eight homeless people just sleeping hmm. there. And I was like, oh, God, that is, I should have taken a picture. That was tragic. Hmm. But yes, cinema is forever. Long live cinema. Long live cinema. And that is the review. I don't know if you have anything else to say. I'm no, no, I think we explore everything. Yeah. I yeah, this is a great movie. Um I really want to watch it again. I might just watch through the special features today, but uh damn. I I mean it is a great movie. I'm I'm astounded, honestly. Surprised I loved it. Happy I did. Happy I got it. I, I'm not surprised because I had this weird... I get this every once in a while. Yeah, I no, I had a weird feeling too. But Yeah. The last mm. feeling I had like this towards a movie was um, Ghost Dog. So mm. I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a base movie. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> so what's right. next? What's next? Well... Uh... Oh, we could do another fun little pairing and do Goodfellas is coming up soon. Very soon. I thought it would come up in June. We'll watch it in June sometime. For my Um, birthday, we'll watch Goodfellas. Yeah. Yeah. But next week, if we want, is uh, Blow Up from 1966, which we are Um, pairing with Blow Out. Blow Out. I'm very happy we... We have previously agreed upon this pairing a while back. That's a great pairing. Yeah. It was a great pairing. I'm happy. You haven't seen Blow Up, and I haven't seen Blow Out. So. And do, how, how, do you like Blow Up from what you remember? Yes. I have it. It's that one, the red one. Oh, interesting. Because I, I fucking love Blow Out. And I never got around to Blow Up because I just assumed it wouldn't be as good. So now we're going to find out if that'll be true or not. I have a feeling they're very different films. Because it's 
Brian De Palma is. He's just he's a director. What's the word I'm looking for? He's just standard. I don't want to say standard, but he's like um, the Hollywood auteur. Yeah, he's very much uh, like he's an he's working within the art of cinema, but he's very much in the Hollywood mainstream. Yeah. Um, but this is this is your first Antonioni film, and Antonioni. He's he's doing something completely different visually and aesthetically from Brian De Palma. Like he's I'm very excited for us. I think Antonioni actually might be one of very few directors on this list that have three movies on the BFI list. Wow. Um, so this is the first of three. And this is actually the one I, I care for the least that I've seen so far. Interesting. I still, I still okay. really like him. I, I love him as a director. He's he's fascinating the way he shoots films and i'm very curious to see like what what is the difference between blow up and blow out and analyzing that difference between two very interesting directors so there it is there it is next week pretty well we have to record not next week but the week after because i am you'll be gone i am out of town all week well there we go all weekend, little all break, and all weekend. Yeah, temporary break from cinema. It'll be yeah. TV week. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm definitely getting this out before I leave, so probably tomorrow or Friday, and then uh, take a little break, and then in end of May or June, we'll have our next episode. And one of these days, I'll I'll start editing those audio <laughs> back. Categories. One of these days, we'll re-record Blade Runner. One of these days. Good. We deleted Blade Runner so it could live in, on video. As, as I've said, if there's any movie I'm glad we lost, it was Blade Runner. So I could talk Blade Runner any day of the week. Thanks for listening. The Split Take Podcast. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, please give a like, comment, subscribe, all that ding dong stuff. And um, yeah. That's it. Yeah.